Put up here too. Come on. This is Elizabeth for those of you who don't know. Just have a seat. It's fine. Am I an object lesson? No, you're not an object lesson. If you'll let me dis- Here we go. Uh, so tonight we're, we're continuing, we started a new series last week on the fruit of the spirit, which is like an intro week, and then we're going to go fruit by fruit. Uh, so today is love, which is not, I mean, I love you, but it's also not why she's up here. Um, in addition to loving you, you're also up here. And so one of the things, we're going we're gonna to work through uh, a, a, just a little bit of the, the text on love and think through something. Um, and then we want to introduce like a definition of love and a practical way of thinking through it. Um, because sometimes we, the way that we think about love is not necessarily how God is thinking about love, which can be challenging when we, think, we say things like God is love uh, and that we should embody that. And so one of the things that, um, that Elizabeth and I have done is there's sort of like this little tool that we've worked with with different uh, organizations and teams. So I'm going to have her go through that tool. And we're going to think through what that means practically. And then we're going to kind of land the plane into communion. So we're going to do the whole thing in 20 minutes or less tonight. That's right. We're committed. Uh, Whoa, that was loud. It's a very hot mic tonight. Um, Doing all right? So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be coming out of Galatians chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 23 of Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So one of the things we talked about last week is when you look at each of these nine things, these fruits of the Spirit, um, it's important to recognize that you can, you can participate in these things and not be a Christian. Um, one, of the, one of the unique things about humanity is that every person is made in the image of God, and so that means that there's a divine spark within every person where there are traces of that original imprint of God's image in that person. And so you do not need... Um, to be a Christian in order to be loving. Um, There's a version of love that you can access if you're not a Christian. However, the thing that we talked about last week is that there is a a version of God love or patience love or peace. Like there's a version of these things that are a supernatural beyond what humans are capable of. And so we, we talked about in the introduction last week how like if you have a hurricane... The thing that is like on the other side of that hurricane are things like fallen trees and flooding, and there might be death, and there might be lack of electricity. These are like the fruit of the hurricane, the effects of the hurricane. In the same way, the effects of life in the spirit, the traces of life in the spirit are love, joy, peace, it says forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's a version of these things that is beyond what any human is capable of. So that's where we started last week. And so this week, the thing that we're we're thinking through is like, what does God love look like? And how can we access and participate in that thing? Because we all are capable of loving each other, but there's a limit to what it is that we're capable of. Does that make sense? 
And so we, we oftentimes think like there's this thing where it says like God is love. The problem is that the way that we think about love is the way that our, our limited experience of what human love looks like. And so we have to get, we have to like dive deeper into the expression of what God love is and looks like that we actually now have access to. Because in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. And that's what this entire passage is about. If the Spirit is alive and well in you, what does it look like to access that Spirit? Because that means that you can access the power that only comes from the Spirit, and the traces will look like love, joy, peace, patience, and on. Makes sense. So we're not going to take forever tonight to think about this, because this is, quite frankly, like we could spend a year just on this series. We're going to look at one passage uh, on the, the love of God tonight, um, and on a, on a very active understanding of it. And then we're going to ask the question, what does it look like for us to do that? Um, so um, we've got the next slide. So what does God love look like? This is a passage from the book of Philippians. Um, and, and this is what it says. It says, who, and it's talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, this is in, in like theological circles, in academic circles, this is a very famous passage. Um, because what it's describing is, is uh, Dan, it's the word kenosis, right? There we go. This is not wholly off the top of my head, but a little bit off the top of my head. Um, which is, it's talking about like the pouring out of Christ. So he's pouring out his divinity to accept our humanness. And there's this miraculous thing that's happening because he doesn't lose his divinity. He's fully God and fully human at the same time. And in many ways, what it is that we are, we are doing as Christians is the flip of that, which is like we are trying to get less of us and more of him and more of God inside of us, not because we have that, but because he has that. So he's trying to get less of the godness and more of the humanness inside, and we are trying to get less of the like grimy human stuff, that sinful stuff, and try to get more of like his spirit inside of us. Does that make sense? Now, I'm crossing some light, or I'm, I'm splitting some theological hairs here that I'm not going to go into because we'd be here for a while. But the thing that, the thing that we, we really need to press into and what it is that Jesus was after is that he was after liberation. And sometimes the way that we think about liberation is we can think about it on a macro sense, and it is macro. So it's like there are all of these people that are oppressed There are all of these people that are marginalized. There are all of these systems that come down on people, and it's like a foot that's on the top of the neck, and Jesus came to put all of those things, all that brokenness, to remove it and to put everything back together. And there's like this macro thing. So we're familiar with these things like the arc of the universe is long, and it bends towards justice. And that, like, Jesus is a liberator. He came to do that. But he also came to liberate you. And so the sickness of sin inside of you, he came to do something with. And so the thing that you see, what he is able to accomplish in this, 
like he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that is what his death accomplished, what his resurrection accomplished, is that it means like in, he was able to liberate all of humanity. He was able to remove all of the bondage and the brokenness. That's where the story ends. And he's able to pull out the sin from you so that you get to participate for all eternity in what it is that he's doing. That's what his love looks like. That's the effects of his love. And it looked completely selfless. So look at that. It says, who, didn't, who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Like there was an expression of love that was like, it wasn't considering what he would have chosen. Only what it is that was best for the people or for the brokenness in front of him. And so when we think about a definition of love, I want to I give you, and some of you have heard me use this before, I want to I use it again if you go to the next slide. Love is fighting for the highest possible good in the life of another, regardless of what it might cost you. Love is fighting for the highest possible good in the life of another, regardless of what it might cost you. Now the question is, how do you do that? Um, how do you get, because like, even, when I, even when I want good things for someone, there's a lot of me in there. And there's a lot of like, I want to do the right thing, or I want to love this person well, or I want to fight on their behalf, but I, I'm also very selfish. And so the, I'm a, there's this recognition that I'm a mixed bag. And so what, what I, wanna, I want us to consider tonight, and I'm going to hand the mic over to Elizabeth now, is like, what does it look like for us to be liberators like Jesus was? How does it, what does it look like for us to embody the kind of love we're talking about here? Where love is fighting for the highest possible good in the life of another, regardless of what it might cost you. So Elizabeth's going to talk about like the four different postures that we can take. Um, one of which we want to be, three of which are difficult. Sure, do you want to trade? Do you want to sit? Yeah. Here we go. All right. Guys, I feel like today is the day that I'm going to speak without crying. We're going to see. So right after Sam was born, I had been a stay-at-home mom for a couple years, and I helped some friends of ours, Steve and Jeremy, start this consultancy um, called Giant, which if anyone is is interested, you can look up Giant Worldwide. worldwide. It's a big G and a little I, because it's big God, little S. Um, that was a consultancy to basically help people learn how to lead like Jesus. And so they would go into um, nonprofits and small businesses and big businesses um, and teach these like biblical principles for leadership. But yeah, it was kind of awesome. So this tool, I give that context because this tool came out of that. And so lest you think that I'm brilliant, I'm pretty sure this is Stephen Jeremy's tool. And I just want to give a claim of authorship. Um, So, yeah, organizational leaders love a good matrix. Um, The core idea um, is that you have on one end support and on the other end challenge. Um, And I'm going to talk about this from a couple of different perspectives because we developed this tool in working with leaders, but I think it's really important to notice that everybody has the power um, to exist as a leader all the time. If nothing else, you get to lead yourself. And we get to lead our peers, and we get to lead our families, and we get to lead our neighbors, and we get to lead... Maybe you have positional leadership, maybe you don't, um, but we always have the opportunity to take the posture of a leader, and so I think this can be applied to anyone. Um, and you'll see here, you have you know high support, low support, high challenge, low challenge. Um, and often when we would talk about people kind of calibrating support and challenge, um, one thing that is worth noting is I think we often can think of high challenge as someone who is like 
having all the hard conversations and holding people's feet to the fire, holding people accountable, um, pushing people to do more. Um, and that someone who's really supportive is someone who's like nice and they remember your birthday and they ask you three to four questions about your personal life before they ask you a task oriented question. Um, and those are kind of true, but also really, really incomplete. Challenge um, is pushing people to do more than maybe they knew they were capable of. Um, it's helping them continue to grow and see beyond where they are. Um, I love this quote by Anne Lamott where she says that um, the thing about God is that he meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we, he found us, right? And so there's this inherent nature in God where he's constantly challenging us to continue to grow, to continue to give more of ourselves to Jesus. Um, so yes, it's having hard conversations, but also it's not leaving someone where you found them, and it's believing more for them and helping them get there. Um, and then on the support side, it is hopefully remembering people's birthdays, but it's also making sure that they have what they need to get there. And sometimes what they need is resources, and sometimes what they need is time, sometimes what they need is grace or vision, um, but actually walking with people, um, even if it's in the valley, sometimes in the slow, patient spaces. Um, and it's worth noting that everybody in their leadership, whether it's of themselves or their families or their organizations, um, has kind of a right-handed competency. So how many people here are left-handed? Let me ask that question. Okay, there's a handful. So statistically, they say that people who are left-handed have higher IQs, so I'm just going to stretch that for a minute. Um, so the majority of us are right-handed. So I'm going to say right-handed competency or, like, right-handed skill set, and by that I mean, like, the kind of dominant hand. So those of you who are lefties, I'm going to ask you to transpose in your head. So when I say right-handed, you'll know what I mean. So all of us have kind of a right-handed tendency towards challenge or support. Like, some people are naturally really high support, and they really struggle to have hard conversations and challenge people. And that's their right-handed competency. Some people are really natural um, at challenge. Like, they can always see the difference between where things are and where things should be. Um, but they really, really struggle to make sure there's like a spoonful of sugar sometimes to help the medicine go down, right? Um, so in all of this, it's important to kind of do a little bit of reflection on like which one is more natural to you because we all have to make sure that we're kind of correcting a little bit to bring balance. And then Jesus obviously was fully both, right? So you can read the Gospels and you can see that sometimes he was giving people just like radical grace that nobody expected. And then other moments he was speaking really hard truths, um, and I think sometimes we really like the snuggly Jesus who's only giving people radical grace. Um, but there's a way to read through the Gospels and be like, man, this guy had some hard conversations and regularly stretched his um, disciples in terms of what he was asking them to do. I always think about the story of the loaves and the fishes. And they've got like five loaves and, you know, whatever fishes. And he's like, you're going to feed them. And you know that they must have had this moment where they were like, what? <laughs> Uh, like the real miracle happened in the moment of turning around and being like, all right, this man's crazy, so we're going to do it. I don't really have that ability, but here we go, right? That would be an example if I challenge. So if we can build to the next slide. There we go. Um, so Jesus was a liberator, right? Like he was able to perfectly calibrate challenge and support. Um, and the reason we use the term liberator, though I love... Um, I love in this instance, like, and particularly because we were worshiping early and we were singing about freedom and, like, breaking chains. Like, Jesus was the ultimate liberator. And, and able to do that, um, he would bring that high challenge and high support. Um, the, the guy, Jeremy, who developed this tool, he had this picture um, of, like, the American GIs liberating Europe in World War II. And there's this, like, iconic photograph 
um, when Nazi Germany had fallen of this soldier with like a gun in one hand and like a child in another. And it was just this picture of like this balance of, um, I mean, not that a gun is strength, but you kind of get where the metaphor is going. Anyway, so in the liberating quadrant, um, you're offering people high challenge and high support. If you've ever been in a season of your life and maybe in a season with the Lord or in your organization where things were just firing on all cylinders. It was hard, but it was working. You were constantly being stretched, but you guys were meeting your goals. You were doing it together. We tend to look back on those seasons and be like, man, incredible things happened there. More than we can have imagination for, and yet we did it. And often it is because there is the Holy Spirit working through a liberating leader who is pushing people to do something remarkable, but is also giving them the support they need to do it. Um, one thing that's worth noting is that no leader lives in one quadrant all the time. Like in the course of one given day, I can be a liberator with my team, a dominator with, let's say, Douglas here, uh, a protector with my kids, and an abdicator with myself. And so it's not like, well, you're a dominator, so you're, you're stuck there, and that's a label now. But it's made, meant to be a metric for all of us to kind of think through how we're leading ourselves and the people around us. So if you have a leader who's naturally high challenge, um, but isn't necessarily bringing a lot of support, then we say that that's a dominator culture. And a lot of people have been in one of those where their team feels like defeated and discouraged. Um, It's always hard all the time, but they don't necessarily have what they need to make it better. And this tends to be a culture of fear and manipulation because the culture is just, it's a dominator culture. Um, the flip side of that, I think, looks really nice, where it's like high support and low challenge. We might think, what's wrong with that? That sounds lovely and cozy. This is like the cozy quadrant. Um, but if you've ever seen a leader who won't have hard conversations, you end up getting a really passive-aggressive culture, where people aren't moving forward. I mean, you take the, like, I'll meet you where you are, and then I'll sit there in the muck, but, like, I'm not helping you get to a better place, right? Which isn't loving people well. Um, often in protector cultures, what ends up happening is the leader doesn't necessarily like having hard conversations, and so they'll lay a lot of breadcrumbs, um, and then if you don't pick up those breadcrumbs, then they'll kind of flip and all of a sudden be mad because they didn't want to have the hard conversation to begin with, and now they're having to have it. Um, and so there tends to be a real feeling of, like, you don't know where you stand in a culture like this. And if you've ever been discipled by someone who, like, only tells you everything you're doing is great all the time... You're like, I have girlfriends, I don't know about y'all, but like, I won't call if I need tough love. Because like, I, I know which girlfriends are just going to be like, girl, you're right. You're right. I don't know who we're talking about, but they're wrong. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even need to know what you're upset about. You're too good for that, right? Those are not the girlfriends I call when I need to grow. Like, I call the girlfriends who are going to be like, all right, look. Like, you have a point, but also you need to hear some, like, tough love and some hard truths, right? Um, so protect your culture is not very healthy. Um, and then abdicator culture is low challenge and low support, and it's just eh, meh all the time. Um, and you might say, like, what leader would ever want to exist like that? But I think the truth is we all have spaces. You know, maybe you have senioritis. Maybe, you know, you feel like you're ready for a season to move on, and, and you haven't gotten the word to move on, but you just feel like you're done. Um, maybe it's a relationship that you just don't want to put the time into anymore. And so you end up having kind of an abdicator culture where nobody really cares. And so the challenge for all of us is to figure out, one, like which one you're more inclined to, but two, if we want to lead like Jesus, is to figure out what it looks like for you to kind of bring that other thing into balance um, so that in the spaces where God has given us influence, we can be liberators and lead like Jesus. That's what I got. So... 
One of the things, one of the things that we want to say, this isn't an absolute, but a thing to think about is that love is not always a feeling, but it is most often a choice. Love is not always a feeling. Sometimes we feel things, but it is most often it's a choice. So like, let's just think about a couple of, of stories real quickly with Jesus. Like he, he encounters the, the rich young ruler and the way that Jesus loves the person in that moment is like, here's what you need to do. Right? And he's identifying the thing that holds him most dearly and it's greed. And so the thing that he tells this young ruler is go sell everything. Because the, the sickness of sin inside of him that most captivated his heart is greed. And what did the man do? He walks away. And what did Jesus do? He let him. Now, if Jesus is love, does that sound loving? Now, in, in some ways, we might think that it is. And in some ways, it's like, well, that doesn't, that, that's not necessarily how I think love looks. Because that really challenges some of the romantic views of love, even in friendship ways, of how we think about it. And another story, we've got Jesus who is talking to this woman who has been married four separate times and is now with, living with someone who isn't her husband. And like has this incredibly like supportive conversation with her. But at the end of the conversation, he's like, now go and sin no more. So you see like this balance is happening. You have uh, this conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus. And it's difficult for us to imagine what it is that Zacchaeus is doing uh, because he is, he's a combination of like the mafia um, and the IRS coming together. Like it's sanctioned mafia work where like, and he's at the top of the food chain for this. Um, and because of the choices Zacchaeus is making, about a third of the country are, are, are paying more than double the taxes that they would have. And so he's just getting to steal and steal and steal and steal. The first thing that Jesus says when he sees Zacchaeus is what? Zacchaeus, let's go hang out and have a party at your house. And before Jesus says anything else to Zacchaeus, it's support, 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 support. I don't think when we're thinking about the person who's at the top of the IRS mafia food chain, the first thing that we think is like, hey, buddy, let's hang out and let's, let's drink together. And let's eat and let's have fun before any challenge is given. Normally we're thinking what? That Jesus, the prophetic voice, the lone reed in the wilderness is going to say, he's just going to lay waste to this person. But what you see in these three different circumstances are he's calibrating where it is that these people are and what it looks like for them to be liberated for where they are at at that moment in time. The problem is that we are oftentimes looking for, like, what's the right answer for all time? And what we're actually recognizing with Jesus is the way that he loves people requires access to something that we don't have. It's called the Holy Spirit. And so the, the question that we, we have to be thinking through is, like, okay, when you've got a roommate and you're somewhere with them, like, I mean, like, relationally, and you don't know what it looks like to love them well, maybe it's because you on your own can't figure out how to love them well. When you're at a marriage that feels like it is at the end, or you're just having a really, really rough day, and you're like, I'm really frustrated with this person. I don't know how to love them right now. All I see is my selfishness in front of me and my experience. If you're dating someone, if you've got a professor... Everyone like their boss here? Everyone? Does it, thank you, Elizabeth. Not helpful. People that, that, 
if, if you have employees, people that work for you, everyone good with everyone who works for them. If, you have, if you're a parent and you have kids, you like your kids all of the time? They always do exactly. Canaan, how you feel? Yeah, Makari. You, th- you think your mother just is cool with you all the time. But we, exactly. To love, to love someone well means that we're constantly navigating, like, where are we and where are they? And what does it look like to be a liberator in this moment, in this relationship? Because love is not always a feeling, but it is most often a choice. And the thing that we need, if love is a fruit of the Spirit, a trace of the Spirit's work in your life, is love. This is, this is practically, if we go to, the, the, I think, the last slide, this is what we need. How? We need wisdom and we need power. You are not smart enough or experienced enough to know in all situations what it looks like to love this person in this moment well. What you see in Jesus is the only person in human history who has ever been able to navigate that perfectly. That means that you need wisdom. And the good news is that the scriptures say this, if anyone needs wisdom, all they need to do is ask and it will be given to them. So we need wisdom to know how to navigate, but also you need power because there are going to be moments when you don't want to love that person and you need, you need the power of God to get beyond yourself because you don't want to love them. You want, in some cases, bad things for them. And in some cases, you just want them to know that you're right and they're wrong. And in some cases, you're just over it. And you're like, I just don't, I don't want to be around you. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to see you. I want you to just like disappear. Not like die, but like not exist. But the, here, here's the thing. Love is not a, is, is rarely a feeling, but it is most often a choice. And so in that, I need to access a power that is deeper than I have from a reservoir that I do not have, that is the spirit of God inside of me to give me the power to be like, all right, fine, give me the wisdom and then give me the ability to move in the way that you would move. This is like, we're just scratching the surface of what love looks like and how we engage with it. But the type of love that Jesus had, the thing that he was able to do in every relationship, in every circumstance, was to perfectly love that person as someone who was created in the very image of God. And there's this, there's this picture that God had of their life in his mind before the creation of the world. And Jesus refused to give up on that picture. And we don't always want that for ourselves, and we certainly don't always want that for other people around us. Because people are annoying, people are frustrating, people hurt us. They do things all the time to us. But the good news of Jesus is that he poured himself out, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant. And so today, like if you keep reading a little further on, it says that now... Like, there's going to be a day when, like, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right now, in that in-between time, like, right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of, of his Father interceding for you and for his church and for his world. He's not stopped loving you. And so through him, through his power inside of us, through his spirit, we have the opportunity 
to be liberators, to love the people that we come in contact with, even when we don't feel like it. Because love is not often a feeling, but it is most often a choice. All right, we're going to... We're going to engage in communion today, so I'm going to invite my communion servers up. Do we have communion servers there? Yes, we do. They're coming up. Uh, in, the, um, in the early church, participating in communion was called the love feast. It was called the love feast. And the, thing that, the reason it was called that is because we see... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he has, he's, he's sharing with them what it is that he's about to do. Um, and, and he says, like, look, we're, we're about to share this meal together. And so he, he, he pours the wine and they drink it. And he says, this is my blood, which is being shed for you. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. Because what, what, the reason it's called this love feast is what we see on the cross and this act that we're to do over and over and over again is this reminding us of, of Jesus who through his sacrifice on the cross, which he willingly gave himself up for, and through his resurrection, we now can participate in this life that he has opened up in front of us. If, if love is a feel, I, I just don't think Jesus was excited about the cross. Uh, and in fact, there's this, there's this passage of scripture where Jesus is praying right before it's all about to go down. And like he is, he is praying with such fervor that he starts to bleed. And, and the thing that he says when he's praying is, would you let this cup pass from me? But here's the good news. This is, this is the next thing that he prays. And this is how he loves and liberates us. Not my will, but yours be done. The good news of Jesus is that he gave himself up. He poured himself out, even to death on a cross. Not probably what he would have picked. But not his will. But this redemptive will be done. That is the God love we are accessing through the power of the Spirit. And so tonight as we come to the table, we, we are remembering that that is the story that we are a part of. That's the story. So I want to encourage you to pray. Uh, leave some space open for the Lord to bring anything to your mind about things that he wants to attend to in you. I want to encourage you, Dan brought a good word a couple of weeks ago that when we, when we come to the table, we also recognize that like, it's not just about like me, it's about us. And so are there, are there conversations that you need to have before coming to the table? Uh, is there space that you need to leave just to pray for uh, Easton Fellowship, to pray for the church of the East End, to pray for the church of the city of Richmond, 
for the global church in the ways in which like God is, is bringing this church together. Because this is what we're, we, are, we are participating with a global family that Jesus has liberated and is inviting us into. So Lord Jesus, this is the feast that you have given us. We are thankful for it, but we are thankful for this reminder that we have to show how you, you poured yourself out and that you are inviting us into that same pouring out. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. seating for us that we would learn to love well that we would learn to live into the God love we're grateful to you oh God hallelujah let's just just breathe for a second amen And um, if, if I mean, if I could just go through that one more time, okay? Could y'all do that one? Go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, if you need to get your kids, you can go ahead. Right. Is Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Yeah, that's good, that's good. 
to you, that you are holy. Remind us, remind us afresh. Yes, you are so holy. Yeah. (sighs) Father God, we just say yes to you. We receive your love today because that's the only way We can give your love away. That's the only way we can love the way you want us to love, the way you've created us to love. And Lord, I just acknowledge as one of the servant leaders here, God, we're desperate to fully discover as a family, how do we love one another beyond ourselves, beyond what we're capable of. And so we're grateful, God, that you are holy, and you're worthy and we can trust you Jesus name Amen thank you for being here praise God we absolutely love you if you could help us with the chairs we would appreciate it thank you so much are you Lord God almighty worthy is the Lamb worthy is the Lamb and you are holy, holy. Are you Lord God? Yeah. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. Because you are holy. Yes, you are holy. Yeah. Are you Lord God Almighty? And worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. 
Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. You're so holy. You're so holy. Holy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play, bro. <laughs> 